Good day, everyone, and welcome to our third installment of the Buckner Foster Care and Adoption Podcast Series, where we will dive into topics and issues related to foster care and adoption, a topic that is at the heart of what we do here at Buckner. My name is Gilbert Montes, and I'm your host for this edition. I serve as the director of the church relations team here at Buckner International. And today, with our special guest, we're going to talk about how you can start a foster care ministry in your church. Foster parents and adoptive parents as well have very unique needs. We believe that the church is uniquely qualified to help meet these needs. But oftentimes, church members and even pastors aren't aware that these needs exist. In Texas alone, there are more than 30,000 children in foster care and almost 7,000 waiting to be adopted. Every time I read those numbers or hear those numbers, they just seem staggering to me. 30,000 children in foster care and 7,000 waiting to be adopted. So that's where a church foster care ministry comes in. It provides much-needed support and community for families as they care for vulnerable children as well as a place for those considering becoming foster parents or going through the licensing process to seek encouragement and prayer. And so today, we're here with Jason Paredes, lead pastor at Fielder Church in Arlington, Texas, and Ender Palencia, campus pastor at Fielder Church's Grand Prairie, Texas campus, to learn a little bit about their ministry, their foster care ministry, and to help you learn some practical tactics you can use to start a ministry in your church. So guys, welcome. Thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you for thank you for having us, Gilbert. Yeah, excited to be here. Hope to uh, be of some service to the church. Excellent, guys. So uh, just to start off with, tell us uh, about the church, uh, a little bit about your church, uh, the ministry, some of the demographics that you serve there in, in I guess, what we call the Mid-Cities area of uh, the Metroplex. Yeah, great. So Fielder Church uh, started originally in Arlington, Texas, uh, and it branched out uh, about five years ago to be both in Arlington and Grand Prairie. And if you know anything about that area of town, it's a very diverse area. Uh, It wasn't original. It was kind of lost in between Dallas and Fort Worth, and it was rural, country, and uh, the church reflected that. It's a 60-year-old church, uh, been there for a while, strong church, large church, uh, but primarily Anglo, and the community didn't have a lot of, I mean, adoption, foster care, all this was very foreign to to the majority of people. But uh, over the context of a changing environment, uh, changing city, uh, it's become uh, exceptionally diverse. And so our city alone, uh, what used to be 90 to 95% Anglo, the the school systems are now uh, about 30% Anglo and 70% other. And so uh, the majority is still Latino, and then you have African-American and Asian and, and other mixed in there. So our church went through a transition of uh, deciding, are, are they going to move away? This is all before Ender and I ever got there. Are they going to move away, or are they going to stay in the same city and try to reach the people that are there? Now, this all uh, matters immensely as it speaks into foster care ministry and, and our heart for adoption. Because the moment the church decided we're going to stay, we're going to try to be the presence of Jesus right where we are, and we're going to reach the cultures and the nations— uh, that, that was going to have an effect and a bearing upon who we were and how we decided to operate. So I was actually hired 12 years ago to do Spanish language ministries and missions, which is crazy that I get to, to lead the church now. It's been a, a wild ride and uh, how it's gone about and, and different roles. And, uh, and the, the decision to hire somebody to do Spanish language ministry was a church saying, we're going to reflect the community. We're going to bring in the diversity. We're not, we're not afraid of that. But there was so much to learn. 
uh, in that process. And that's, that's a whole other conversation to have. But what it did is it forced us to recognize uh, if, if there are people around us and the church isn't engaging them, we need to do something about it. Now, you translate that to children. If there are children around us and they're not being engaged by the love of Jesus, whether that's just a home, uh, it's a, a loving environment where they have uh, parents, preferably Christian parents, who would love them and invest in them, if that's not there, then the church needs to rise up and do something about it. So you were kind of getting the seedbed of what was going to be an adoption and foster care ministry for the future. And and as it have it, God took uh, me on a journey nine years ago to adoption. Ours was an international adoption, uh, but opened up my eyes to it. And uh, Indra, I know you've been through that journey as well, and so that had a bearing on who we are. So why don't you tell them about that? Yeah, our journey of adoption started about four years ago, and uh, it, it was a, a, a different one. Uh, God... Uh, um, in his sovereignty, allows us to go through a period of uh, infertility. And uh, adoption was always kind of in the back of our minds, and we always thought one day we would do that. But uh, through that journey, God kind of uh, opened our eyes to a great need, like you already mentioned, in our community and in other parts of the world uh, as well. And uh, in, in, in his mercy, he allowed us to, to bring home this precious daughter, uh, that we have now, her name is Alyssa, and uh, at the same time, he he gave us a heart for for this great ministry, and and uh, God used our testimony to to encourage other people in our church, and it's it's becoming who we are as a church. It's been a great great experience. It's become so much of a part of the church that I that I understand that in your ten year strategic ministry plan. Uh, you guys have, have said, we want to be intentional about this. We want to be serious, uh, so much so that it's part of a plan. I, I've been a part of a church staff. I've read other uh, plans that churches have. I've never seen a church that says, hey, I, we're so serious about this. We're going to put it in our plan. Um, so take us into maybe the boardroom or the executive room where discussions were being held about, hey, we want to be so intentional about this. The groundwork has been laid, like you said, but we want to be so intentional about it that we're going to put um, this to paper and it's going to be part of our plan. And that's, that's, that's a great it's a great question. And uh, so there's the strategic level and then there's a spiritual level. And in the church, if you ever divorce those two, you're in a lot of trouble. So uh, what, what happened to us was we began uh, probably about five years ago as a, as a leadership team, a senior leadership team, to really question, are we aligned with Jesus? In other words, like going down to the basic place, if Jesus were to come take over leadership of the church, would he continue doing the same things that we're doing, or would he do something else? And, uh, how much alignment is there? Are we celebrating what he celebrates, and are we weeping over what he weeps over, or could it be that we're busy high-fiving each other and celebrating the fact that we got you know more people in the seats and all we've done is stolen them from smaller churches and Jesus isn't celebrating that you know but we're too, we're busy thinking this is amazing that we're growing and then at the same time could it be that Jesus is weeping over the children that are fatherless and motherless and over the brokenness and the lostness of our city and we're oblivious to it and it felt like as we began to get away, and we would, uh, there was a team of five of us, we would get away for three days, go up to the mountains, we would fast water only, cry out to God, worship, and ask, read the scriptures, and ask God to reveal to us what's, what's in his heart. And over the course of doing that over about three years, he began to crystallize in our minds that alignment with Jesus means caring for the vulnerable. 
that if he were leading our church, this is precisely what he would do. So around that same time, uh, I, w- I wasn't originally the lead pastor. I was serving in a teaching pastor capacity. The church voted for me to be the next pastor of the church. And so I, at that moment, uh, asked the Lord, got away, fasted personally by myself, and said, God, give me, give me vision, give me direction for the future. Who are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to value? And as a part of that, and it was years of discussion and praying and, and pulling that together, I asked the Lord to show me, and one of the things that he showed me was that we're supposed to be a church that over the course of a decade would bring in a thousand children to be adopted and foster parented. And, and, and it's, it's a large church, but a thousand children means your church looks different. Uh, this, is, this is part of our story now, which uh, hopefully I'll get to tell you more about, just the, the beautiful tapestry of colors that make up our church because of the children through adoption and foster parenting. But he was very specific. This is what it looks like for us to imitate the character of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. So once that word was spoken, then we take it back, and we get our minds together, and we get our strategies out, and we say, if we're going to do this over 10 years, what does this look like? What elements do we need? How do we take step one, step two, step three, step four? And then we get strategic with it. But the strategy follows the prayer and the seeking of God and the alignment with Jesus, and that's that's the way we approached it. Uh, So uh, a 1,000 children, 10-year plan, um, what steps have you guys already taken to make that a reality? Is it, is it staff-led? Is it lay-led? And, and a lot of churches that I've been a part of, uh, it seems to take on more of a lay-led approach, but I assume that it might be different there at Fielder. I think it's both and. Uh, we have, uh, I believe, led by example. Uh, God has called us, uh, like Jason already said, he, he has an adopted son. He is actually in three weeks going to pick up uh, another daughter from China, and uh, then also I and others in the leadership team of our church have adopted children. So our people have seen that that this is something that we're serious about, that we believe we're convicted by God, that it's something that needs to happen. So we uh, are adopting children, bringing children into our home, uh, but also it has uh, kind of awakened something in our congregation. And we have actually found out that many people in our congregation were already foster, uh, fostering children and adopting children. So uh, then we began to uh, create a, a ministry, if you will, where uh, both uh, uh, the staff of the church is involved, but also uh, lay people are involved and, and just kind of coming out of the woods and saying, hey, I'm, I'm doing this as well. Uh, and I think Jason can tell us a little bit more about how that got us started. So we... On a staff level, it is it is um, administrated by a staff person who has a, a broader job in the church, but it's it's led by volunteers. So we pulled together a coalition of families, uh, and one of our biggest struggles has been finding out who in our church is already in the process. And I probably thought, yeah, there's there's three or four families maybe in our church who are presently foster parenting. And so in a sermon, uh, I made a pitch. Hey, if you're if you're foster parenting or you are in the process of adopting or have adopted, would you come by a table and just let us know? And there were uh, 35, 40 families that came by and I was, holy cow, where'd you come from? And how did I not know this? Um, But it was it was fascinating to see how many were invested beyond staff. Now, at the same time, uh, like Andrew said, we had a lot of staff who were who had adopted, who were in the process, who were foster parenting, some who had fostered to adopt. All those were elements of our staff, and so it was easy for us to connect with them. And so we formed a coalition that was probably two-thirds non-staff and a third staff. But we immediately passed it on to a non-staff person 
to own it just because uh, the passion they have is going to drive them. And so we get to come and we get to help administrate. We get to help bring funding, communication to it, uh, throw it out to the congregation. But they're the ones who let us know what the needs are. And, and bringing that coalition together has allowed us to, to ask the questions like, hey, for you guys, what are the biggest needs that you have? Uh, hey, for you guys, what would be the top three things that we could initiate this year that would help us uh, move forward in our, our ministry? And so it's been a mixture of both, but primarily driven by the non-staff in our congregation. That's beautiful. Beautiful to hear. And so um, in, in regards to uh, additional training for, I'm thinking, youth workers or children workers at your church, has that been a part of the strategy as well? Uh, absolutely. You, you cannot have a robust uh, foster care and adoption ministry and not, not have it affect your, your children in your preschool area specifically. So um, as, as uh, most are aware of, a lot of children in the foster care system have trauma in their background. That's why they're there. And trauma just creates complications. There are a lot of families who come with children who are from very difficult backgrounds and hurt children, hurt others. That's just the way it works. And so in a church situation, if you're used to a traditional, everybody pretends like they're perfectly holy and no one you know, do, gets out of line or does anything bad in public, that's going to go away real fast when you bring a, a flood of children who don't know to behave by the rules of, of you know, churchianity. And so you've got this influx of children who are breaking out into fights in children ministry, who are standing up on chairs, who are, who are throwing out cuss words. You have parents going, I don't know if I want my children in that environment. And so there becomes a whole training necessary for the congregation as a whole that when you step into this, then uh, there's going to be broken people bringing their brokenness in. But hey, remember, we're all broken before the Lord Jesus. So you start with gospel. You teach that from the pulpit. And then when you go down to the specific areas, we have a lot of training in, uh, in our normal activity. So we don't have a separate, this is the, the foster group over here, and you have to have a special license for this. It's, it's just our overall training. We bring in professionals who can help us understand the, the specific needs of hurting children and, and children of, of uh, traumatic pasts. So they can speak into what that looks like, how to diffuse it, when to bring in extra help, uh, when to to tell the police about unhealthy situations because those coming to all those types of things are trained uh, for our children's workers through our children's staff as they connect with other agencies around the area to help us do that. And that keeps us um, informed, aware, ready, above board and how we operate. Hey, so you've mentioned a couple of things that I want to pursue a little bit. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, gospel, you mentioned we're broken people coming to church, recognizing that we're all broken. Uh, you've also mentioned um, early on in the development of the plan and the strategy to create a foster care ministry that it was a combination of the spiritual and the planning, and you can't separate the, either one. So um, it sounds to me like this is part of a discipleship strategy for the people at Fielders. That, do you, have you started to see that those kind of changes in your church congregation? Yeah, one of our values as a church, if you will, we don't call them values, but uh, one of the Fielder Five is we pursue imperfect people. We, we know that we're broken and we need a Savior. And I remember uh, when my... Uh, daughter uh, was about to be born uh, we were in the process and trying to figure out who we we're going to adopt and we received a call and and uh, the person told us you know there is this uh, young girl she's going to be born in 
uh, two weeks or two months actually and uh, she needs heart surgery uh, she has a condition in her heart and um, there's no one right now willing to adopt her because of that she needs to have heart surgery before uh, six months uh, uh, of after birth and uh, we prayed about it uh, my wife and I prayed a lot about it and we were in the middle of this sermon series that Jason mentioned earlier that we study who Jesus is and I remember that Jesus clearly I mean the the Lord clearly told us and told me and there you had you had a, a heart condition way, way worse than this uh, called sin uh, you were broken you you have messed up and you broke a, a, a relationship and even though uh, you had this heart condition, call sin i still adopted you and welcomed you into my family so that that really just the gospel right there spoke uh to me and and i think that that's kind of what we have tried to communicate to our church yes uh there are children that come with baggage and they 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 have issues uh, but it's all because of sin and we all have sin and sin separates us from god but God in his mercy sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that we could be restored. We didn't earn that. It, it was something, it was a free gift that we received from God. And in the same way, uh, we have to pass uh, that on to others, and especially children who are just, the, the, they, they are uh, victims of sins of adults most times. And, and uh, although they do need a savior, uh, what they are going through is the result of things that they haven't even done, somebody else has. So. Uh, providing a home for them, it, it's a good way for us to show the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Jason. Yeah, I, I do. Just uh, if you think about the the basic message of the gospel, it is it's a it's a two part message. It is you are so messed up, the Son of God had to take on flesh and down a cross, uh, and it it just confronts you and it, it breaks you down, it wrecks you, it it helps you see your inadequacy, your inability, it it crushes and humbles. It's supposed to do that. And then it follows with the second movement, which is you're so loved by God that he would gladly send his son Jesus to die on a cross to redeem you. And I think if you let that message really affect who you are as a church, then you begin to see foster parenting and adoption as just the outflow of belief in gospel. Because there, there are moments when you have a child, uh, especially in, in foster care or adoption, and they come in with baggage in the home, the most intimate of places, where you begin to see uh, some some surfacing of sin in unusual ways, where uh, the level of lying is unprecedented, and and personally we've experienced this when we have we have biological and adopted children, and there are there's attachment disorder that has certain ramifications in a home, and as a parent it can make you feel like a failure, it can make you feel like what have I done wrong? How, I'm I'm gonna I'm not even doing well with this child. I, I can't do this. And so to have a church that's already taught you, it's, it's a discipleship thing like you spoke about, to have a church that's already taught you, yeah, you're supposed to be crushed and broken and humble. Then it doesn't overwhelm you because my status before God was never based on my ability to be put together, to have a perfect family, to have all children who have no issues. My status before God is based on the work of Jesus. And when he said it's finished, he meant it. It's finished. It's over. I my status before him is set. And so it's okay. I, yeah, I, I've messed up. I lost my temper with my children. Or I didn't do this right. Or these things go wrong. Praise Jesus that my salvation is not contingent on my behavior. So it becomes a discipleship in, in a very tangible way, the most intimate of places of what the gospel really means. And so we know as people bring in children to their homes and they have children who are smashing windows and who are peeing on the floor and who are cussing out their parents and all this is happening, 
and parents are walking through that to have a community of people who are going, isn't it great that we were the same way and the Father loved us? And isn't it great that when I failed and I didn't respond with grace like I should have, the Father still loves me? Yeah, they grow in their understanding of the gospel. They become better believers through that whole process. You guys are preaching today, man. Sounds great. Hey, so so let's pretend you guys were a two-team consulting uh, operation, and we're going to go talk to churches and to pastors, and uh, we're going to advise them on, hey, here's uh, the first few things you have to do if you're considering a foster care ministry. I think uh, part of it may be get away and, and go into the desert for a while, but uh, talk to us a little bit about how, how would you consult yeah, so we're going to open up a Paredes and Palencia consulting group. We've got a good ring to it. So that's uh, thank you. I appreciate the idea. Let's, let's start that off. If any of you need any help, just call me, 1-800-HELP-ME. Um, but that's not a real number. Don't call that. So uh, I, I think, I mean, you hit it. Like If you're going to start this, the number one thing I can tell you is you better pray like crazy before you go after this thing. And, and that's, you know, we say that, like that's a good Christian thing to say. Yeah, so let's pray. We're going to sprinkle a little prayer before we go do our thing. But I mean, face on the ground, weeping, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to move until you speak to me, God, kind of prayer. Uh, and and I, I think if we were honest, um, churches don't pray enough like that. And so we probably need to start with our own hearts and ask God to show us. And, and I think the reason why it has to, it, you have to be so secure in prayer is because there will come moments, the enemy does not want this to take place, where he will set up. Uh, all these roadblocks and difficulties. So if you if you don't have that foundation, then you'll you'll give up. And there are plenty of churches that give up. I, and, and I think I think one of the reasons why churches don't do this, I think there's two main reasons why. And you have to confront both of these before you plan out you know your your strategy. Here's steps one through eight to do it. I think the first reason is because people don't know about the need. Uh, they're just oblivious to it, completely unaware that that there are children all over the metroplex, all over the state. Uh, all over the country, all over the world, who don't have mommies and daddies who are growing up feeling rejected and condemned, and they don't, they don't know the need, so they don't do anything about it. So obviously awareness in the steps are, is going to be important. I think the other side of that is that when they get into it, they realize how messy and how difficult and how costly it is, and they go, well, we're just not prepared for that. we got other things. So if you didn't hear from God, clearly that this is what you're supposed to do, you will abandon ship. So step one, pray. Step two, pray. Step three, pray. Step. So about 48 of the first steps are really just pray. And then when you get to about 49 and 50, then you can move on to some extra things. So I, I, I think um, when you, the, the first step after you've prayed and after you've heard clearly from God, this is where you're supposed to go, is you got to begin to cast that vision and it has to be encapsulated in vision. This is not a little corollary thing, little side, you know, uh, growth that we're going to have in our church. We're really after these things, but we feel bad for the orphans of the world, so we're going to throw this little... It can't be a little side tumor growing on the church. It, it has to be clear vision of where you're after, why, why you, you know you need to do this, alignment with the very character of Jesus. And it has to be from the top all the way to the bottom. So if the lead guide doesn't believe in it, uh, then uh, keep praying, because his... His direction is going to be vitally important, his ownership of it. If the main leadership team doesn't buy into it, every single one of them, then keep on praying because you're going to hit roadblocks. And so you, you keep doing that until you—and then when the main leadership team and the main vision casters get the idea, the heart, the, the passion for it, then they can begin to communicate in all different pockets. And so the, the ownership of it, 
Step one. Step two, you've got to cast it like crazy, and you've got to encapsulate it in the conversation of the gospel. Step three, you've got to discover who are the people in your congregation who are already there because they're there. It's I don't care how big or small your congregation is. There's going to be somebody who's got adoption or foster parenting, and there's a move of God right now that is unprecedented toward this. That um, you know, it's one of those where you feel like the wave is going, and you're just getting on your surfboard to ride it. You're not. We're not starting the wave. We're just riding it. It's happening in every church. So who are the people who are already there? Bring them together. Hear their voices. And that, that can be one of the most challenging things. But when you bring them together, uh, then you're going to start to realize you have a team that's coalescing. I think after that, when you have that team together, you're starting to ask. And this is all before you do any kind of pitch to the congregation. Because I think sometimes we just want to throw it out there and, hey, let's all do this together. And then you might have a rush of people who don't know what they're doing. And they all jump in it and fail at the same time. And that's going to, it's actually going to make it worse instead of better. So pull together the team uh, and then start finding out what are the needs that they have. What are the, where are the places they can create support for one another? Uh, whether that's support groups, it's training, it's prayer, it's financial, it's, it's emotional, whatever those are. And start trying to create these places where those needs can be met. Once you've got that in place, then you can begin to cast a vision for the rest of the congregation to jump in and be a part of it. That's when you start bringing out extra agencies and partners. You don't have to recreate the will. You can start building a network of people who are out there. They can bring it in. They can tell you what's working. Many of them will say, we'll come to your church, and we'll do this for you. And we'll, we'll have tables. We'll have people who speak. And then you create, create awareness of it. And then those two begin to go back and forth over and over and over again. You'll have um, all led by that same guiding coalition that started out where you'll have more training opportunities, more things develop, more opportunities for the church body as a whole to jump in that creates more training opportunities, creates more awareness, and just back and forth, back and forth until it grows into what it is. That's awesome, guys. Thank you so much. It's obvious that uh, you guys are not only leading the church in that direction, but you guys are passionate. I mean, it's part of who you guys are. And so you're right. Um, from the top, it's happening at, at Fielder Church. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for the advice you guys have given us. And thank you for your heart for vulnerable children, not only in leading your church, but in leading your family. So we appreciate you guys being here today. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, I'd like to add that if you're thinking about starting a foster care ministry in your church here at Buckner, we're, we're ready to help. We'd love to come alongside you as you seek to help support foster families in your church and the children in their care. And here, here are just a few things, and, and Jason mentioned a few of them. Uh, we can help connect you with some of our outstanding Buckner foster care team members who are especially trained in help uh, providing training for parents. Uh, we start that off with an inf information meeting to help answer questions and provide basic information of what it means to be a foster care parent. And one of the things we encourage churches to do, and Jason mentioned this as well, is to create a wraparound support system for foster care and adopted parents. You might not be called to foster or adopt, but we believe everyone uh, at a church can do something to help support uh, a, a parent, adopted parent, or a foster care parent. Everyone can contribute in ways like providing meals, uh, running errands, being, becoming a respite care provider for parents. The statistic that I heard recently is that 50% of foster care parents quit in their first year. And that's because they feel alone and, and they feel that it, it is. It's something hard. It's hard to do and they feel alone. And it shouldn't be that way in a church where we're called to love and encourage one another. 
And so, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us about the foster care ministry at your church. Uh, thank you for sharing your personal stories. Uh, and thank you for listening and tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about uh, starting a foster care ministry at your church, visit us online at buckner.org backslash churches, or feel free to contact me at gmontes, that's G-M-O-N-T-E-Z, at buckner.org. If you'd like to learn more about foster care and adoption, or if you'd like to learn more about fostering or adopting through Buckner, visit our website, buckner.org backslash foster care to request more information. Again, thank you for tuning in today.